Hi, I'm Phelan Johnson. And I'm Leah Simone Bowen, and we look at history a bit differently. Have you ever wondered how hundreds of wild horses came to inhabit an island in the Atlantic Ocean? Or what Lord of the Rings and a small town in Manitoba have in common? Or the burning question, did Canada invent the teen drama? The Secret Life of Canada is a podcast about the country you know and the stories you don't. New episodes available now wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. One of the things I think artists can best do, I mean, besides, like, entertain you and help you pass the hours, is they go through the things that you go through. Loss of a parent, birth of a child, getting older, realizing your mortality. And it's through their lens we can process our own stuff or think about it differently. Like, think about all the times you've gone through something tough and reached for a song to help you get through it. Feist's new album is about the changes she's experienced in her own life, and you'll hear her talk about how exactly she hopes you relate to it. That's coming up. Plus, Charlotte Cardin, who won pretty much every Juno Award last year, has a new album. So she blew the dust off our studio piano, hasn't really been played since the pandemic, sat down and sang you a couple of the songs from it. You're going to hear that coming up. I'm Tom Power. You are listening to Q. So uh, Feist is an interesting artist in Canadian music history because if you only kind of know her, if you have any sort of like light name recognition of her, it's probably from this song. One, two, three, four, tell me that you love me more. Sleepless, long nights, as with my youth was for. That is Feist and one, two, three, four. That was such an interesting thing that happened because Feist had spent so many years making really interesting, complex art and really thoughtful music, collaborating with others in Canada and in France. And then she has a gigantic, I mean, pretty amazing, gigantic, pop hit and she talks about one two three four in our conversation today and what it did to her but that leads us to feist's new album it's called multitudes and it was inspired by the last few years which is pretty transformative for her she became a mom which um as you you may know completely changed the way she sees the world not long after the birth of her daughter her dad passed away which as you may know, changes the way you see the world. All of these experiences show up on her new album. It's called Multitudes. It's up for this year's Polaris Prize. The winner will be announced on September 19th. That's the award given out to the best uh, Canadian album of the year. I love any chance I get to talk to Leslie Feist because you always leave the conversation thinking differently about art and creativity and kind of about the way you see the world. We spoke just after Multitudes came out. Here's my conversation with Leslie Feist. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Nice to have you it's here. It's been a while. I feel like every time I talk to you, I start the interviews the same way, which is like, oh, it's been a while since we've... Yeah. Yeah. It's always a while. I am... Uh, I got I got to see your, your show, The Multitudes Show. Oh, you show. did? Okay, great. Um, I said, say about... How long ago was that now? Maybe Almost two years two ago. two years ago, or maybe a year and a half ago that it was in Toronto. I think I saw the first one. Or the second one. Well, in Toronto, probably. Yeah. But before yeah. that, we we developed it in Germany. Right. And um, because who else is going to give us access to a theater for a month and say, get experimental? I mean, it was really <laughs> quite experimental. I remember uh, for people who weren't there um, and who weren't lucky enough to be there, we were all kind of sitting in a, in a big circle around you and you were facing uh, the audience, like my side of the 
audience at times and then you were facing the other side of the audience at times and then there were moments where I was like, oh, I get it. This is going to be an intimate Feist concert where she moves around the room and sings to each of us, you know? <laughs> and then next, and then, I, then there was like a camera shows up and I go, oh, I get it. There's going to be like some mm-hmm. cameras of us watching the Feist show and what we're doing. And, <laughs> and then I started to realize that what I was watching wasn't actually happening in the room anymore. Mm. And then next thing you know, the curtain comes up and I'm on the stage with you mm-hmm. looking out at, a, at, at an empty... Uh, Spoiler, I guess it's over though. <laughs> I'm worried about spoiling it, but I think it's over. So it's I can, over. I it's can over. do it. Yes, that was of a very specific time. That can't happen again. It won't ever happen again. It's kind of lovely to know that it was like a just, you know, catching this rare moment when those types of rooms, those like beautiful grand opera houses, needed to have very few people in them. And, and uh, we got a chance to do something. Also, when people hadn't been physically moved by volume in a long time. They hadn't been next to other people in that type of proximity in a long time. So it was it was strangely the freshest way a concert could possibly feel because it was just such, it was capturing this particular moment where everyone was sort of coming back new again to something that they didn't think could be new again. It was my first. Me included. It yeah. was my first show back um since the beginning of the pandemic, that was the first thing I went to. Mm. You say me included. What did it give you? It's funny because this was all done so backwards. The record's coming out, but normally that's at the beginning of things. But the songs were written for this tour. I knew I didn't want to sing old songs. Um, and I, Why? Well, because this was probably six months into lockdown and four months before lockdown, my I'd become a mom, you know? Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was a particularly... Uh, challenging time and I felt unfamiliar to myself and maybe songwriting being a way that I've used in the past to locate myself, you know, maybe in the fog, you know, when you can't see your hand in front of you kind of thing. It's just like you're in some obscured state of mind, some experience where you're a bit lost. I've often used songs to locate myself. When the lightning flashes flash and thunder loves me back and enlightening, I can keep my energy intact. There are people who have told me that when they had kids, it's impossible. In fact, I just had an interview where someone told me. I know exactly who you yeah, spoke to. Yeah, yeah, yeah where, where it was Hayden. And Hayden had told me that yeah. it's it, it, being a parent, had, it, like, or just, and he's not the only person, but uh, other people have told me that. Of course. Becoming a parent, you try to find these like wee hours at 1130 after <laughs> everyone's gone to bed mm-hmm. to maybe sit down and hope some inspiration finds you. So it's hard to write songs. You're saying that because you had a kid a couple of months before lockdown and then you were sort of like learning who you were learning who this child was Mm -hmm. learning what your new role was going to be at the same time you found that writing songs helped you was like a was like a sail for you it was a north star or at least a compass point that i could understand it was sort of i mean i've joked that the person who decided to become a parent should probably still be around to parent this child. You know what I mean? What do you because, mean? Well, it changes you so much. and it The it, person it, who made the decision to have a child yeah. should be there with I'm the child. I'm speaking about her in third person because almost unrecognizable former self decided to become a parent. You yeah. know, it's like the this person with this sort of endless, nauseating freedom. <laughs> this, <laughs> this, a, an autonomy beyond measure, you know, just like hours and upon hours of time to sit around and wonder what's up inside of me. And, you know, and that is gone. And so 
interestingly, she was she, her North Star was to become a mother, and and then I did. But it, it's a crucible, you know. It's just and and an old friend of mine, a photographer from New York named Casper. She I want to credit her because it's it just was such an important thing she told me because she's kind of got this sparkly eyed wisdom about you know, maybe saying the thing that no one's saying is she's like, oh, being a parent will incinerate you. But the person who rises from those ashes is someone that you're going to be more interested to be for the rest of your life. She's going to serve you. Whatever happens, you just have to hand yourself over to this utter transformation. And so, you know, writing songs is a way that I have often used in times that I've probably experienced as just as challenging, but in retrospect, I can see you weren't. <laughs> yeah. And if I can put something in that container of a song that gives me a few clues, I just, I can plant them for myself, my, for myself, I say, as if there's plural future selves. Maybe there are. There was a plural past self. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a problem I can continue solving yeah. for the next 40 years. And I have had that happen with songs from the past, and that's why I know that it's it's something that if I do it with more intention now, I can continue to try to solve problems for the next 40 years, you know. Make it up as I go That's all I can do it. If you ain't got a clue it. I heard you say this thing about um, having your your kid um, that it was like a spiritual smallification. <laughs> what does that mean? I I don't recall, but I love it. That's you did say it. I mean, I heard you say it. Well, I suppose because it's um, life is is sort of reduced. It's expanded, but it contracts down to these minutia, these little doings. You know, and, and um, you know, someone once said, it's, you're a hu- we're human beings, not human doings. If we can approach the doing of things with the way to be during the doing of those things, then that might be, the, that might be a clue there. It's sort of um, the smallification if it's, if it's instead of looking at it like, oh, my God, I've, I, I, I'm, all I do now is these, this series of tiny things. But they were all, you know, imbibed with this you know, some deeper meaning. I mean, this is now the the, the fostering of a life. It's the keeping alive of, of of a of a brand new being on this earth. You know, I, maybe I teaching her how to be here. You know, I understand that. It seems to me that, like, if, if I understand this correctly, playing Saturday Night Live, <laughs> touring the big old theaters and and arenas. These are big things to do. These are big <laughs> things to do. Mounting a big tour, mm. going to Germany and and developing a, a stage show, doing that stage show. These are all really, really big things to do. Preparing noodles, mm. loading some time-lapse videos on an iPad, <laughs> getting a, a, a set of pajamas. These are smaller things to do, mm. but they are they are imbued with a deeper meaning, so they're more powerful. I mean, I like that I said that at some point, and I'm trying to wonder at what point did I feel the the spirituals inside the smallification because it it is a um, there's a relentlessness to the care of a being, and um, and I often have felt unqualified for it. I mean, really? it's 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 very 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 taxing, but it's a privilege, and um, and it 
And if at the moment when I said that, which whenever that was, I might have been a little bit more in touch with the privilege part rather than the exhaustion part, you know. I mean, it's a, it blows my mind that humanity has been based upon this all along. And I just didn't know it. I mean, this servitude and this sort of ever-present availability to um, the becoming of someone, that, you know, to to sort of like, here's what you do. Here's how you walk. Here's how you talk. Here's how we're kind. Here's how we're present. Here's how we... If you're strong, use your strength in service of others. I mean, these basic things, it's, um, it's, it's, you can lose track of them inside of the just utter depletion too, you know? I mean, do I look tired right now? Because I really am. <laughs> but You don't look tired anymore. Oh, well, thanks. I feel very tired. But it's, it's um, I, I would have it no other way. Is that what Forever Before on the, on mm-hmm. the record is about? Yes. I've never begun forever before been using life like I knew I had more talk to me a little bit about that song it's a study on the state of mind that I can recall sort of the Rorschach test of like the immediate past and the immediate future sort of like here I am in the spine of the book I'm in the present here and the person who and the present being uh, the large form question of what it is to um, to focus my entirety on on the offering of myself as a mother to another to a little person you know and the person before maybe identified love as something I receive maybe you know it was something that I was looking to receive and and the lesson of becoming a mother is that it, love is equally the the thing that you can offer I mean, it's the same function. It's the it's the giving and the taking. And that song sort of studies maybe my misidentification of 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 the the quality of love that I was I was looking to tap into. I mean, the phrase "I've never begun a forever before." It's sort of I have committed to things before, but I've done it sort of laterally, and I sort of backed in and check it you know, out, to, your to dip your open. toe. Yeah, yeah you just sure. want to like yeah. make sure that this you know committing to get on a plane at five a.m. to show up somewhere to do something that's going to be hard when I get there, but it was me that decided to do it, or you know those sorts of temporary commitment. You know what I mean? It's a commitment for this week. I'm going to really hold it together and get this thing done or whatever. But the forever of a of becoming a parent. Um, yeah, that's where. So she's she's definitely in there. She's it's my love song to my commitment to her. <laughs> when even freedom wears thin. So what's got to end for forever to begin? I'm Tom Power, and you're listening to Q. And what you're hearing right now is a little bit of the song Forever Before by Feist. Feist, the Canadian songwriter, is my guest today. We've been talking about our new album, Multitudes. We've been talking about how becoming a mom and all the ways that changes you, how that inspired the record. But about a year after Feist became uh, a new parent, she lost her dad. And that experience of losing the person who parented you while also becoming a new parent shows up on this album as well. So I wanted to talk to her a little bit about that and about the ways that her dad helped shape her as an artist. Take a listen. I begin by begging in at the same time, and only talk about this as much as you want to, at the same time, I think that was happening was around the same time you lost your dad, right? Well, there was, uh, thank 
goodness, there was a maybe a a year and a half between. He got to her arriving and him leaving. He got to spend some time with her. Yes, and 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 the pandemic being its double-edged sword. I mean, it, it offered me a stillness that I hadn't had in years and years, or hadn't wanted. I hadn't really stayed still in a long time. No. So um, you were able to have some time where yeah, and we came home. We were with my dad. We potted with him. We were, um, you know, it was it was quite something to see him with my daughter and. Um, and I have tons of video and you just, you know, it's, it's a gift to not know. You never know, basically. He, he was an artist, right? He's, he's a painter. Yeah. An abstract expressionist painter and someone I'd seen committed to his work his whole life. And, um, and it's a private practice he had in that sense. I mean, it's sort of in a way songwriting I was lucky enough to speak craft with him over the years, but in in the way that different genres can speak to each other when you pull way back, you can talk about, you know, where you're compelled from or what you're after. Right or wrong, good or bad didn't really come into how we could discuss what we each do, but it was a gift. Did he give you any guidance in your art practice? In your in, in yeah. even more so in your decision to pursue art as a career? I mean, I can't really find I can't like find a any any clear message from him except that I watched him show up to his canvas my since I can remember. He just showed up and he just continued to work with his own vocabulary, um, with his own, you know, the people he would probably call the closer counsel. And I have done the same. So uh, I would say there's an echo there, but not one that we would often um, refer to because it they don't. They didn't look much alike. Sure, but at least you didn't have the the dad going like, I don't know about this arts, you know, I don't yeah, know no. about this arts thing, you know. Like, I'm sure you don't want to get your pharmaceutical degree or something like that. You well, know? he used to. Yeah, right. No, luckily, no. He used to be a teacher. He taught art, um, and I think the only joke was, as long as you're not a painter, you'll it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> well, he must have been very proud of you. I think, yeah, yeah, quietly so, but yeah, yeah. he's proud of all his kids. I'm one of four. What what do you remember about putting out the first record, the Let It Die record? Oh wow! It yeah. was such a big record for me, Leslie, and That's, me and my friends, and wow, you know. I got a man to stick it out and make a home from rented house. Oh, 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 oh. and we'll collect the moments one by one. I guess that's how. I mean, it could have it could have gone so many ways at that moment. I was sort of, I had my foot on like five hinges that were all, I was like, I was getting invited to go over to Europe and back up Peaches, who I had lived with here. And she'd started, she'd put her roots down in Berlin and was sending me, you know, paper ticket, like back in the day to yeah. go get on a plane and go do shows with her. Gonzo had moved, Jilly Gonzalez had mm -hmm. moved. Um, but then Broken Social Scene was starting here and I was part of that original uh, I think there were six of us that started Broken Social Scene and the first winter before You Forgot It and People was made and we were just gigging at like TEDs and stuff. Um, so that was, there were roots down in that way too. And I had been making my demos. I lived with Chris Murphy, my first boyfriend mm -hmm. um, from Sloan and had a four track and a and his computer and I had been making all these early demos. And, and then it just so happened, I started to tour more and more with Chile Gonzalez. And on days off in between tour, he had met a producer in Paris named Renaud Leton, and they wanted to work together and see what they could be as a production team. And I just became kind of the subject matter of their experiment of being a production team. And I'd never worked in a proper recording studio before. I'd never 
um, had a producer. I'm like, what's that? Oh, is that the guy that plugs stuff in? Like, yeah. no, I didn't know. Yeah. And um, and so we recorded that and days off on Gonzo dates. And it slowly became apparent that it was a record. And we were, we were they were also all covers. I was like, if this is an experiment, then I'm not giving my songs that I care about into this weird experiment. So originally it was like that Bee Gees cover, yeah. the Inside and Out, and the Ron Sexsmith cover, The Secret Heart. And... I think I might have brought that in at the – there was a whole – we did Look of Love. We mm-hmm. did – a weird Stevie Wonder cover. Do these I mean, exist? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Baby, I can figure it out. Your kisses taste like honey. Sweet lights don't give me no rise up for what you're trying to do. Living on your cheat and never pain. I, mean, I asked all your siblings and they didn't have it. <laughs> I went through all the boxes in the you, basement. Yeah, so sure. <laughs> it's called journalism. So you 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 went you went and um you 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 had done that stuff, but then you eventually okay, I'm going to bring my own song. Yeah, so it, it kind of happened. Maybe that's one of those commitments that I just sort of backed into. Um, I didn't know that I was making "Let It Die," and um, and then because Gonzo's so well-loved in Europe and Renaud Latong, little did I know he had made a bunch of records, beloved records that it, it just, it was just a strange opportunity where just those two guys, it was word got around like these two are working with this Canadian yeah. and what, you know, and so somehow I got a record deal. It was just so strange and based in France and it's still alive now. That's a 20 year deep record deal that I've had based in France this whole time. Um, and it was just the great luck, greatest luck ever. Feist and Enlightening from her new album, Multitudes, that's at now. It's been shortlisted for the Polaris Music Prize. That uh, uh, award will be announced September 19th. I got so many notes after that interview aired for the first time from people who had, I think, you know, um, given the people who listen to the show are often, you know, times in their in their 30s and, and 40s and, you know, going through those sort of life changes. So I heard from a lot of new moms. Uh, around the time that we aired that interview talking about how much they related to what Leslie Feist had to say there about sort of like about the incineration. You're going to hear more wisdom from Leslie Feist after the break on Cute. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. 
Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. I would say there was a it was a joking moratorium on Glockenspiel and mm-hmm. um, you know uh, tambourine and mm-hmm. it was that all that stuff was of a moment and then the moment had passed. I hope all the Glockenspiel players in Canada made hay while they could. I'm Tom Power. You are listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation with Feist, um, and we're talking about something that happened with Feist that is very rare and very special. I mean, she had been making these you know, beautiful, critically acclaimed albums for a really long time. And in, in t- 2007, her song, as you may remember, One, Two, Three, Four, blew up. It was in an Apple commercial. It was all over the radio. Uh, suddenly, she was performing on Saturday Night Live. She was on Sesame Street. Interesting fact, the guy who lives across the street from me played the trumpet solo. On, on one, two, three, four. And I said to him, I said, you know, what, what was it like back then? He said, we were just on the go all the time. There was kind of no opportunity to stop. So very quickly, Leslie Feist's life changed. And now with a bit of distance, I wanted to ask her what that time was like. Take a listen. I watched an interview last night when I was getting ready to to talk to you. Normal research. With, uh, <laughs> but it was an interview that I think it was George Strombolopoulos was doing with you kind of oh, right yeah. when 1234 happened. Right yeah. when you got in the iPod commercial. 1234, tell me that you love me more. Sleepless, long nights, as was my youth was for. And he said something to you like, how does it feel to be in this moment right now? And you said... I'm sort of shielding myself from this moment right Hmm. now. Like the world is all sort of happening to me right now, but I need a sort of a self-protective way to shield myself Hmm. from it. For people who don't know, I mean, when 1234 gets in that um, Apple commercial, is everything kind of blows up after that, you know? And um, now I think with a bit of distance, I can ask the question again. Now that we're able to look back on it a little bit, Mm -hmm. what was that that time like? it's, It's a rare thing. It's so funny because I'm I'm trying to find that feeling in the memory, and I, I'm 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 loving the wisdom of of that younger self because it was overwhelming. And I suppose had I not already been on the road for so many years, or hadn't already made many records with different friends, or had that band, that feeling of belonging somewhere, getting signed to a label, and and looking at it truly like. I am grateful for someone to help me now. You know, that's how I looked at being on a major label. It was, oh, my God, I, just, I don't have to poster for my own shows anymore. <laughs> you know, someone's going to help me book book some shows even so I don't have to do it all. Like I had done it myself for so long that I think that all served me to understand that it, that moment, I knew how to meet it. I knew how to work it, I, like how to work um, like Clydesdale style, show up to the job and and be able to carry this extra stuff that was getting hoisted on my back and carry it. But at the same time, it was there was m- momentum to it, and it felt a little wild and out of control, and a and very like more than a human body could like sustain. But yeah, it, it was um, it was it was sort of g force and um, and not entirely pleasant. Uh, and eventually, I think. Uh, it felt good to th- say, like, okay, n- by no m- metric will anyone say I didn't show up to this moment and do my best and do my darndest, but I just need to take a breather now. So to think even in the thick of it, I was like, 
feeling, you know. Luckily, inside, as I say, I made a shield around me. In here, there were, like, incredible friends, you know. There was, mm. you know, Robbie Lackwitz, who I still work with. There was my my band at the time. We were we, we had that kind of bad seeds feel. <laughs> we yeah. were like, we, we could show up and, and do what was asked of us. And But it was, yeah, it's, it was something to have... I'd be glad you made it to the other side. Have you ever heard that um, Neil Young quote where he said... Um, I found that I was going towards the mainstream, so I swung towards the ditch. Oh, cool. Isn't that cool? I've never heard that. Six, I mean, he made the ditch into the mainstream then, I suppose. I guess so. <laughs> but did, I guess the question I want to ask based on that is, did having that massive success impact the rest of the music you made from then on? I would say there was a, it was a joking moratorium on Glockenspiel and, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, tambourine and Mm -hmm. it was that all that stuff was of a moment and then the moment had passed and I was somewhere very different. And then I took a, 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 I took a deep breath in a couple of years after that to try to remember what living was about and, you know, be in one place kind of. And, um, and when it came time to write again, it, it wasn't so much intentionally turning away from or trying to replicate or, or, be other than it was just I kind of I feel like I answered the new moment um it might be in a way my first record the medals Mm. because it was my first true intention to like I keep talking about locating myself inside of this moment and then what is if if this moment is a moment where I don't really know up from down then how do you characterize the not knowing and turn it into something that I can offer my future self or or the headphones of someone walking in the rain. And so it, it was maybe I was sonically craving different things or I was... Um, sometimes what can happen after 100 shows, I'll notice myself humming songs or kind of looking for new melodies that are somewhere else in my range Mm -hmm. because my if i've been singing in a certain range it's like painting with the same nine colors or something i'm Mm -hmm. now i just want all of me is craving something else and so i think i wrote the else you know i wrote to the the something else that i was craving and then in a way that became kind of the beginning of me knowing that that's what songwriting might be for for me I think, um, and I'm aware, I'm aware of the time, and I want to keep, I kind of want to keep on going down on this road. But I think what what you said about Neil Young there reminds me of sort of the feeling I had while I was listening to your to this record and to mm-hmm. into metals, but to, to to this record in particular, is that um, rather than like trying to find us with your art, you sort of make art and bring us to it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean by that? Like you, you um, sort of are uncompromising with the art that you want to make, but find a path for me to come to it. I, I, if that happens, that would, I would be grateful. I, I have nothing to offer unless I'm offering where I'm at. The zeitgeist is this, you know, it's like quicksilver. It's just moving all the time. Yeah. There's no catching it. it. Like you were in it, in it. 
Well, and and I maybe I can remember, I can squint and remember there was a there was a second there, you know, mm-hmm. in some Canadian form, you know, it was it was um yeah, I can remember a moment of being sort of in that uh thing that it, you don't know it until it's too late to identify. Oh, yeah. that what was that? Yeah, I don't know. I I I really feel that songwriting um is sort of how to contain an aspiration and and um and maybe look with the least amount of rose colored dark colored you know half full half empty any all the filters that you might look at your own problems at to lift them away at least for just the container of three and a half minutes and and find something maybe a little more essential that that will serve me later yeah. so it's 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 like the least harmful selfish um endeavor i'd say but and but I, I'm appreciative that I I I get a path to it. Yeah. I would appreciate that too. Yeah. I mean, I often feel that the a friend of mine, well, Jason Collette, just wrote me that he was listening to the record on in headphones on rainy dog walks, mm-hmm. and I said that's the gift. If that's where you've been and you've found yourself going back a couple times, that, that then I you just made my album release for me because all I'd want is if if one person has a headphone experience and you know it's it, I think that's just. That's a gift. It's like I, my privacy and his privacy hung for a second, and they never will. Because when you're alone with yourself, you're there's a reason why you're alone there. It's a it's an interior vocabulary that doesn't maybe have words. You know, it's it's and then songs can can kind of characterize that yeah. or or help reach it, just push it out of me. So it's like maybe here, and then if if your equivalent comes and there's a Venn diagram of of, of kind of common experience or we mutually alone but mutually find an understanding of something that otherwise seems so unsolvable then that I, I think that's just I'm so grateful that my job touches that at all I know? love my privacy and his privacy hung for a little while that's beautiful <laughs> Leslie thanks for coming in thank you thanks for having me everybody's got their shit who's got Feist and hiding out in the open. Before that, you heard my conversation with Leslie Feist. Her new album, Multitudes, is out everywhere now. It's up for the Polaris Music Prize this year. It's not on any of the betting apps, but I tell you, I, I I'd put some I put some money on to win it. I think.
A couple of months ago, Charlotte Cardin dropped by the Q studio to give us a sneak peek of her brand new record, 99 Nights. If you don't know Charlotte Cardin, incredible singer-songwriter out of Montreal, who, she won like every Juno in 2022. Like, you know, metal album of the year, Charlotte Cardin. Polka album of the year, Charlotte Cardin. Best saxophone solo, Charlotte Cardin. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but she won like a lot of them. So Charlotte Cardin's new album is officially out. We kept something in our back pocket for you. Didn't let you know about it. We have one more of her beautiful performances to play for you. She came in, she kind of blew the dust off the piano we had in here. No one's been performing on it. I mean, I sit down every now and then and play a Beatles song on it, but like poorly. But uh, she came in and and got the piano. We got the piano out for us. This beautiful piano Glenn Gould used to play. She sat down and she sang this song. It's called Next to You. I can't be those things next to you 
can't be no, but I can't be those things next to you. You'd hate to be on the receiving end of that song, wouldn't you? Charlotte Cardin performing a song called Next to You in the Q Studio. Her brand new album is called 99 Nights, and it's out now. And that is it for the show today. Tomorrow on the show, not that long ago, Tim McGraw came into our studio to talk a little bit about his new album. And while he was here, we talked about, I don't know if you know this, we talked about how Taylor Swift, one of her first singles, was called Tim McGraw. And he had a lot to say about what it was like to have Taylor Swift name a song after him, for her still to be singing it. And he'll say how it made him feel kind of old. That's tomorrow on the show. I'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.